name is Steve Korn. I am uh, one of the elders here. It's a privilege to be able to serve in that capacity, work with a bunch of great people, and uh, getting to serve here in this place. Um, this church has made such a huge difference in, in the life of my own family. Is there a something here? Okay. I feel like it's bouncing back at me, the sound. Um, but it's just a wonderful place. So I'm glad that you are here. Uh, I have been asked to finish the book of Ruth. I, was, I started a few weeks ago. I, I began uh, talking and teaching on the book of Ruth. And uh, I just have to be straight with you and honest with you right now. I went way too long last time. Okay, I won't do that to you again. Uh, I had actually planned at that time to go through the entire book of Ruth. And then I got up here and started rambling on way too much. So... Um, we are here now, and we have there's there's four chapters. I made it through the first two, but I went too long, so we're going to do one chapter today, okay? Just chapter three. So turn to Ruth chapter three. While you do that, I'll kind of give you a recap of the first two chapters. Uh, we've got a family, an Israelite family, um, with Naomi and Elimelech, who are married. And Elimelech decides that there's a famine in Israel, so he decides he's going to take his family to Moab. So he moves his wife and his two boys to uh, Moab, and they live down there. And he has essentially taken his family away from God's people and away from the church. Because in Moab, I mean, at that time they worshipped in the temple, so in Moab that's not there. So... Um, he has essentially taken them out of that culture, and now they're living in a new culture. So his, his boys marry Moabite women, and then Elimelech and his boys all die. And so now we've got Naomi, who is a foreigner in Moab, there all alone, and with her two uh, daughters-in-law. And they decide, they hear that, that God has done some great things in Israel and that the famine is over. So they decide they're going to, well, yeah, they all decide they're going to go back. And partway there, um, there's a discussion and she is encouraging the two daughters-in-law to go back to Moab because in Israel, there's, you know, they're widowed and there's, there's nothing, there's no life for them in Israel. And so she encourages them to go back to their families who can take care of them. Uh, one of them, uh, oh, I started to say Oprah, it's Orpa. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, by the way, I heard uh, in reading some things, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but one of the things that was written was that the Oprah that you know um, was originally supposed to be named Orpa, but they misspelled it or something. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just what I heard when I was reading. Um, so she leaves and she goes back to her family, but Ruth decided that she was going to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, I am with you to the end, and she even cursed herself if she broke this promise. So they go back, and now we've got Naomi and Ruth in uh, Israel again, and the famine is over, but Naomi tells the people when they, you know, oh, Naomi's back, they say, and um, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me bitter. Call me bitter. My life is bad now. I've lost everything. Um, they're widows, and so they, they fall on into kind of the, uh, God has provided a way for people like them, the poorest of the poor, to um, be fed, and he has arranged some social services, basically. And so Ruth goes out, and she gleans in the corners of the fields to gather food, and in the process, she finds herself 
just circumstantially, which is not really circumstance, it's God's hand at work, in the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is going to be the hero of our story. Um, He treats her really well. And uh, by the end of chapter two, he is, he's given Ruth um, lots and lots of food and he has given her a community of people to, to spend time with in uh, the fields. And she has asked the men there to take care of her and to even give her a place of honor. Um, he, is, he has prayed over her that, um, that she would find herself under the shadow of God's wings and that she would be protected by God. So that's where we are. Um, beginning chapter three, I'll just tell you now, chapter three is one of the most highly debated chapters in the entire Bible. And uh, so we're not going to get into a whole lot of the details of some of those arguments, but we'll touch on some of that. Um, I do want to tell you a quick story about my wife, since this is a love story. Um, before she and I were dating... She and I were a part of a group of people that would go to these Bible studies together. It was Metro Bible Study in Houston. We would drive about an hour to get to these Bible studies. And then after the Bible study, the group would gather and we would go out to eat. Um, Over time, you know, we did that, I don't know, probably a year or so at least. And over time, I started noticing that I was, when we'd go out to eat afterwards, I was like jockeying for position so that I could sit next to her. And it was in doing that that I realized that I had feelings for her um, because I would be upset if somebody else got that spot, you know? Um, and so eventually, as that grew inside of me and I recognized it more and more, by the way, I should tell you, as I tell you this story, if you talk to her, she'll probably tell you she remembers it differently than I do. This is the way I remember it. I'm not, I'm not making anything up. I'm not lying to you, but it's probably not completely true. It's just the way I remember compared to the way she remembers. Um, <laughs> so at some point in, in the process, I realized I, I really liked her and I wanted to spend more time with her and I wanted to officially start dating her. So I go to her one evening and I confess my feelings to her. And it was like one of, I, I felt... I felt really good about it. I felt like when we were eating together, you know, with the group, like it was reciprocal and she liked me some too. And, you know, I I felt like it was the right time. It was kind of a a moment that just felt really right and it seemed good. And so I confessed my feelings to her and she looks at me and she says, what? You're too old. (laughs) Wow. And I am old compared to her. She's, I'm eight years older than her. And so I'm deflated, you know, and I'm really upset and hurt but I, I, in the moment, I, I stopped, I grabbed her hands, and I prayed with her. And during that prayer, she burst into tears. I cry too, just as I re- remembering it. Something in her in that moment changed. Uh, I, I don't know what it was, but, but I was still too old, and so nothing was going to happen. So we went for a little while, um, and nothing happened. So there's this time period. It was, it was probably two, three weeks. Um, and then I was, I was asked to be in a wedding that was up in Illinois, Iowa. I don't know. It was, an, it was one in an I state. It, I think it's Illinois. Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> I'm completely wrong. <laughs> See, I told you I don't have it all right. Um, so I leave for a week. 
And during that week, more changed in her. And when I came back, we officially started dating. Um, but I can tell you, without question, those weeks in the middle there were really tough. Um, I didn't know what was gonna happen. Uh, I, I, had, I had done what I thought I could do. I thought I was following God in all of it, and it just, I don't know. I, it was just a scary in-between time. And that's one of the toughest things. I want you to realize, between chapter two and chapter three in the book of Ruth, it's in between time. There's six to eight weeks where nothing happens in the story. She's been gathering um, barley, it's the barley harvest, and she's been gathering grain in the fields, and she's probably been seeing him, he's probably been seeing her, but we don't know if there was really any interaction between them other than seeing each other. The, the scripture just doesn't record that. So I would imagine it's that in-between time and she's fretting over what's going to happen. Uh, so that's where we find ourselves. Let me read. Oh, by the way, I, I should also remind you, the greatest needs that she had... At the beginning of the chapter, first there was a famine, so they, food was one of the greatest needs. And the second one was family, because everybody had died. So food and family. So now the food has been taken care of, because Boaz has come in, and he's giving her food and an opportunity to glean in the fields. The family has not yet, but that's, where we, that's what we're aiming for here. So, I've lost my spot. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Can you hear it? The, the mother there, mother-in-law? By the way, my, my mom is here t today, and uh, I can hear my mom's voice here. She's, she's always was concerned about me when I was single, and um, would make little comments that I would take as little jabs, you know? Um, but waiting was good. We got a good one, right, Mom? <laughs> uh, so, she's Naomi's concerned about Ruth. Um, we need to go in, I need to have you flip back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. When, when Naomi asked Ruth about this, she says, my daughter is not Boaz, our relative, with whose young women you've been with. So there's something going on here, and it's, it's the fact that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. So I want you to, I want to look at the verse in, in Deuteronomy 25 that explains what the kinsman redeemer is. You guys find it? Nod your heads, yes? Okay. Verse 5, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel." This is a, an odd custom, certainly is odd for us in our culture. Um, th there, there was no bankruptcy in those days. Um, there was no government to control that sort of a thing. And so um, 
what would happen is if you had debt, you had to do one of two things. You had to sell off your land, which would devastate your family because your everything for your family was, you know, coming from the land, or you had to sell yourself, which again would devastate your family. And so God in his sovereignty, he put something else in place. And, and by the way, the land that they're in is the land that God had given to his people. So if the land goes to the woman and then she marries outside, the, outside of the Israelites, outside of God's people, then the land is no longer God's land. So part of the reason God put this in place was so that the land would stay in Israel. And, and then secondly, so that the, the man who's died, his name would, would, would continue and Israel would continue. So the reason this is in place is twofold, for the land and for the Israelites' name. Now, as we go further into chapter four later on, another day, uh, we'll, we'll get into some more of that. Um, verse two of, of Ruth. Sorry, back to Ruth. Naomi is speaking and she says, isn't, isn't Boaz the guy? And then she says in verse two, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. This is Naomi's plan. Naomi's plan, I I, I gotta say, does not make me as a father real comfortable. I would not be telling my daughter this plan when she is looking for a husband one day. Um, it's sketchy at best, right? Um, she tells, him to, tells her to get dressed in, in her finest clothes. And, and let me read this to you. This is something, as I was studying, Warren Wearsby, scholar, he, he suggests, oh, shouldn't do that with my hand. Warren Wearsby suggests that Naomi was telling Ruth to act like a bride preparing for her wedding. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 20 Um, David does the same thing. He washes himself, he puts on oil and his best clothes to signify the end of his mourning for his son who had passed away. Naomi may have wanted Boaz to see that Ruth was no longer mourning the death of her husband and was ready to move on. She's eligible for marriage. So so her putting on her best clothes is is very possibly her saying, okay, I'm, I'm available to Boaz. Um, but she puts on her best clothes and then she goes down to the threshing floor and the threshing floor, the, the way things were there, I mean, you gotta, gotta realize this is the end of the, of the barley harvest. These men have uh, been working, you know, six to eight weeks doing all of this, this stuff. It's time to party, you know? They're harvesting and, and the harvest is over. They've probably got some money in their pockets. Most scholars actually believe there's probably prostitutes around. They've, they're drinking, they're, they're having a great time in this big party. And, and Naomi tells her to show up in the nicest clothes she's got. By the way, Boaz has probably only seen her in her peasant working clothes up to this point. Um, 
get all dressed up and then go to this place, which would probably be dangerous just to be there. So she says, leave him alone. Don't go up to him right away. Don't ask him about our relationship yet. You know, don't, don't be pushy. Give him some space. Let him, let him be with his friends and, you know. But, then what, but pay attention to where he lies down. You gotta know where he lies down because we don't want you to make a mistake and go to the wrong guy. Right? That's really what she's saying. Make sure you know where he is. And so... Um, this is, uh, as I was reading, that one of the things that, I, that was said over and over, this is not a plan that is prescriptive for all of us. It's descriptive. It is descriptive of what happened. It is not prescriptive for all of us. So um, I don't have to tell my daughter to do it this way, right? Uh, this is just what happened. And there are some reasons. I mean, in those days, the way that God had provided for women to be taken care of was through the family. Women were taken care of by their birth family at first, and then eventually a family of choice whenever they married. But even that transition, it was the birth family that helped that transition happen so that women could be taken care of by family. Now, in the normal situation, what would have happened? If, if, if Ruth was to be with Boaz, what normally would have happened is that Ruth's father would have gone to Boaz and they would have struck a deal, you know, and they would have talked through it. And the father, the family would take care of her to help usher her into. But the father is not in the picture. Naomi is the only one. She's the only family that there really is. But she's not really family. She's a mother-in-law, right? Which is real family. Um, <laughs> my mom's laughing. <laughs> at least somebody's laughing at me. <laughs> um, the the mother-in-law had to step into this role because there was no one else to do it. And so this is an, a, a circumstance that doesn't fall in, in line with the way that the culture was. And so that's why it's happening. Um, it's, it's a tough situation. You see my notes, I'm sorry. The, the other thing, when, when she, she tells her to go down and then find out where he's sleeping, and when he wakes, when he, she after he falls asleep, go to him and uncover his feet, she says, and then tell him you'll do what he wants. Tell him you'll do what he wants. This is definitely a scary thing. Uh, I cannot imagine as a father telling my daughter this. It's a calculated risk, though. I think, I think many times when we're following after God, we have calculated risks as well. Naomi, Naomi knew the kind of guy Boaz was, she knew the kind of woman that Ruth was. It's a calculated risk for sure, but based upon their character, Naomi was comfortable telling her to do this. Based upon her character and based upon his character. I think, let me just read what I wrote to you. We can't always wait for every question to be answered before we act. If we do, we may never act. And in some questions, in some cases, the questions may never be answered. 
I don't think Ruth was ever going to have a father show up on her behalf, right? If we were following God, if we are following God, I think we've got a pretty big license to act on our faith and to take some risks. If we are following God, we have a big license to take some risks. And I think that's what's going on here. Joshua didn't know how the walls were going to come down to Jericho. Moses didn't know how he would cross the Red Sea. David stepped up to a giant. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. They didn't have all the questions answered. This is a calculated risk based upon God. Based upon the character of God, it was a calculated risk. I think that's where we are with Naomi and Ruth. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, but you know, it's really hard for me to make decisions sometimes because I don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, I'm sure it's true of you. I've, there's a classic illustration that I'll, I'll remind you of if you've heard it before, of a car. If, if I want to go from my house, well, let's say, to, to Greg's new house, he's building a house. I don't know where it is. I know v- roughly the neighborhood. If I want to go there, I'm, I want to see the map, right? I want to know exactly how it is, that I'm, what turns I'm going to need to make to get there and to go to get to the place before I leave. Now, the world we live in has changed. We don't have to know all those details now because now we have phones and GPSs, right? So now we don't have to know the whole, end, end, the whole plan. We only know one step at a time. Sometimes Siri gets it really bad, right? Sometimes it's not right. We can't put our trust and faith in in the map app in the way that we can in God. But I think this is a picture of the way that our lives are. He doesn't, the the classic illustration is you're driving through, um, you're driving to find somebody's house in the dark. You got the headlights on so you can see the road, but you can't see the next place yet. We have to live our lives in faith making the next step. God will reveal the next step. And we trust him for that step. And that takes us further to where, closer to where he wants us to be. And then we trust him for the next step. I can tell you, as I look back at my life, I find the same thing is true. I thought I was headed this way. And then I start that way. And then God may let me take a few steps, but then he says, no, we're going this way. Right? And God all along knew the, the way that it was going to happen, but I didn't. And so we've got to trust in him. He is sovereign over all of it. He is sovereign over every little thing. Even, even as, as the scripture was read this morning, and he's given directions about all the ways that, that the, the temple was to be set up. All of those little details. He told the people what to do. He's working behind the scenes to make all those details happen in spite of whether we do things or not, right? Um, it's a wonderful thing to serve a, a God like this. Let's see what happens, verse six. So she went down to the threshing, flo- Ugh. the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. He's, he's lying at the end of the gra- his, his heap of grain, so nobody steals it. Verse 7. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. This, by the way, 
is where uh, the scholars have a lot of debate. When it says that she uncovered his feet, the word in Hebrew that is translated feet could also be translated as the male's privates um, in a different context. But we will see in the way that they respond to each other that this is really, it cannot be the case. I think the reason that these scholars are debating it this way is because they've taken our Western culture, our Western mindset, and they're reading it into the verses. The culture of those days would not have, it would not have been that way at all. Let's continue. She came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Behold, a woman laid his feet. He said, who are you? Remember, there were lots of other people around. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is brilliant. Brilliant. Ruth deviated from her mother, mother-in-law's plan. Remember what her mother-in-law told her to say? I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. That's what her mother-in-law said. That's not what she said when she got there. She says, I'm your, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, look back at chapter 2, verse 12. When Boaz first sees her, he prays a prayer over her. Verse 12 of chapter 2, Boaz says, The Lord repay you for what you have done. He's talking to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He prays that, the, that she finds protection and refuge under the Lord's wings. And then she comes to him that night and she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are redeemer. She throws his words back at him, right? The th- very thing that he wanted for her, she's, she's basically saying, Boaz, why don't you answer your prayer? Right? I love it. I love it. There, I don't know about you guys in, in your relationships with your spouses, but... There are little phrases and things that come up in my relationship with Miranda. When, when we first started dating in those days, um, I would make up things to do that I could ask her to come join me to do. Not because I cared about doing those things, but because I just wanted to be with her, right? My, my nephews, I have, I have quite a few nephews, and, and, and most of the time for Christmas, they get like gift cards from me because I never know what to buy them. But that year that I was dating Miranda, one of my excuses was, I've got to go to this store so I can buy something for Tanner. I've got to go here to buy something for Tucker. You know? So I was making up excuses so I could be with her. And, and eventually it caught up to me. And she's like, do you really need to do this? And I'm like, no, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And, and that became something that I would say to her often. The, the classic argument, you know, or not really argument, but you, you're going out to eat. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you, I'll go wherever. I don't care. You know, that whole classic thing. It became a, I really don't care. I just want to be with you, right? So when we got married, um, 
I wrote a song for her, and the name of the song is Just Want to Be With You. And um, she didn't know I had done it, and we comes time for our first dance, and uh, they start playing the song, and I'm singing on the recording, because I knew I couldn't sing it live. I'd be in tears. So we recorded it, and, and I played it, and that was our first dance, and, and she cried through the whole thing. It was great. <laughs> um, but that phrase, just want to be with you, over time, she uses that phrase with me sometimes. I still use it with her sometimes. I wonder... With Boaz and Ruth, spread your wings over me. Spread your wings over me. I wonder if that came back. You know, when, when they have the family gatherings later on in their lives, is that a phrase that was the same sort of way that they would say over and over, you know, um, Ruth, Ruth needs Boaz to do something for her, and she says, spread your wings over me, you know? Can you do this for me too? Uh, or, or maybe, he, maybe it was the other way around. Maybe he would say, let me spread my wings over you and do this for you. You know, I, I don't know. That's just, just my speculation. But it's, it's fun, fun for me to think about those things because it makes the people real. And so I, I enjoy just pondering. Um, and I do love the fact that she throws his phrase right back at him. So you answer it. Um, also, when she says, spread your wings over me, the, the word for wings can also be translated corners. And we see that in some other cases in scripture as well. So, so she's saying, spread your wings over me. It's like, lay your blanket over me. Let me be protected by you. You cover me. Um, verse 10 of Ruth 3, he says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Then she came softly. Wait, got something messed up here. You are a worthy woman. Um, she's crossing lots of lines here. Uh, she has, um, when, when she's done all of this, she, well, I'll just read what I wrote. She's crossing lots of lines. She's a woman asking a man. She's a Moabite asking a Hebrew. She's a younger person asking an older person. She's an employee asking an employer to to cover her. It's a surprising thing, but it sounds to me in the way he responds, he's surprised. He, it's like he, he doesn't think that he's worthy of her. You see what I'm saying? The way he responds when he says, may you be blessed, my daughter, you've made this last kindness greater than the first that you've not gone. It seems like he's really surprised by this whole thing. Um, and the reason is because of all these lines that she's crossing. And it's not the way it was normally done. He probably was surprised. Normally, like I said, it would have been her father coming to him. So it was probably a shocking thing for him. Um, we don't really know. We, he, she, he does call her daughter. So most likely, he's quite a bit older than her. Um, we don't really know anything else. But I want you to see this. The fact that she is... Um, coming to him and asking these things 
she calls him a word, he calls her a worthy woman. This is absolutely true because she is a woman who is a foreigner who has said to, to Naomi, let your God be my God. She is walking into to this new culture and she is trying to live her life as an Israelite. And so when she comes to him, she's, she's coming under the law, which she's not required to be under the law. She's coming under the law and saying, I submit myself to God's law and I am looking for a redeemer the way that God would want me to have a redeemer. And so he's shocked by the whole thing because it's not, not the way it's normally done. But he also recognizes in her, oh my gosh, this is a woman who, she didn't have all the teachings growing up that I had. She didn't grow up learning the word of God. She was a Moabite. She learned all kinds of other crazy cultish sort of things. And yet she's right here trying to come under the law. He's, he's probably amazed by her faith. By her faith. And the fact that she is there coming under the law. I think that's a beautiful picture of the way things ought to be. Um, you would think that at this point, you know, happily ever after, right? He's just promised, I'll do what you say. I, I will be your redeemer. Let's look in verse 12. The fairy tale's not ending. The credits aren't rolling yet. Verse 12, he says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, which he definitely lives, right? I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. He's telling her, don't leave right now. It's too dangerous. You stay here. Um, but he also says, it's, it's not right yet. I can't be the one to redeem you because there's somebody else that's nearer than I. I mean, this is not the way that love is in our culture, right? Love is, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes so that I can be with you. I want you so bad, nothing's gonna stand in my way. I'll fight for you, I'll lie for you. Walk the wire for you. Yeah, I die for you. You know it's true, right? Too much Brian Adams in the 80s, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> nothing's going to get in my way because I want you so bad. That's what our culture says is love. But that is not love. This is love. He wants what's best for her. And what is best for her is biblical and proper and what God has called, right? He wants to follow the rules and the laws that God has put in place because God is sovereign over all of these rules and all this stuff and God has said there's a nearer redeemer. And so he wants what's best for her. He wants, like if he just says, I'll do whatever it takes, you're mine, we're gonna run off together, then he is basically telling her what God says doesn't matter. Whereas if he does it the right way, the biblical way, the proper way, then when they get to the end of the road, they've gone through all the bureaucracies, all the red tape, all of the junk. When they get to the end of the road, they can be assured that God has his hand in the outcome. 
It is so easy sometimes to skip all that stuff, isn't it? And we are so tempted to do it our own way and just get it done. And when we, especially when we know that, that, or we think we know that that's what God wants is for this outcome to be whatever it is that we're wanting. We want to skip all the red tape and just get it done. Get her done, right? Get her done. Probably said at your house a lot, right? <laughs> but that's not the way it ought to be. We've got to f- come under the law of God so that at the end, we know that God was a part of that decision. He was a part of the ending. That is how it ought to be. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of anticlimactic though, right? Like, it's supposed to be the credits rolling. It's supposed to be, you know, her in his arms and, and the music playing. But that's not the way that real life is most of the time. And we've got to recognize that if we are going to be godly people, we are going to follow him in it all, include, including the laws that he has put in place. Boaz knew there, were, knew there was a closer rede- redeemer. When, when she said these things to him, he didn't have to like, go research if there's somebody else that's closer. He knew right then and there if there was somebody closer. What does that tell you about him? He's had his eye on her, right? He's already thought through this thing a little bit. It's because he knows that there's somebody else that's closer. Um, and by the way, Boaz is... Boaz is not responsible. He, even, even if the closer kinsman doesn't want to deal with her, Boaz is still not responsible to take Ruth under the Leveret laws. Because it, it would, it's Naomi that's related, right? It's Naomi who's related to him, not Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. So if he chooses to do this, then he's not just trying to fulfill his obligation. This goes beyond that. It's not living up to the law. It's, it's grace. It's bigger. It's beautiful. It's love, right? So he's doing this because of his love for her. Verse 14. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the, fleshing, the threshing floor. Um, again, he's trying to protect her. Get her out of here so the, the rumors aren't even there. By the way, if there was anything that was inappropriate earlier, I don't know if you noticed the way that he responded at the end there. He said, um, who are you? And then he says, the Lord bless you, right? May you be blessed by the Lord is the first thing he says whenever he realizes that it's her at his feet. If there was something inappropriate going on, you're going to be talking about the Lord, Right? This, this is definitely not the case. It, it was completely innocent. She uncovered his feet because he responds by saying, bless are you by the Lord. And then, she, then he calls her a worthy woman. If she was doing something else, she, she would not be considered worthy in that culture for sure. But now he's, he's, even, he's still, still concerned about her reputation because it does look kind of bad, right? So he has her leave before... Anybody else wakes up, and so she gets on out of there, and he sends with her some food. Um, Verse 
14, we did, verse 15. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. She held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. 60 pounds of barley is a lot. She probably carried that on her head to get back. Um, Boaz wants to make sure that Ruth, I mean, sorry, that Naomi is not empty anymore. Uh, Remember earlier in, I guess it was verse chapter one, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter because I am now empty. And so Boaz is making sure she is not empty. Um, So we've got food. Right? That was the greatest need in the beginning. Food, check. And now family, not quite a check yet, right? Uh, it's, it's right on the edge. He's, there's a promise, right? We have a promise, a promised redeemer. We have a promised redeemer. So do we. More than a promised redeemer. Jesus Christ has come here He became our kinsman. He became a human. He became our kinsman so that he could redeem us, right? Not only has he promised to redeem us, he's actually already paid the penalty on the cross. Paying for our sins so that he could redeem us. We are Ruth. We are the beneficiaries of an incredible redeemer who has given his life for us. If you have not begun your relationship with him, please talk to somebody and find a way to do that. Um, Ruth, it was through Naomi that Ruth began her relationship with Yahweh God. Uh, It's through our friends. You know, talk to somebody that you know who knows the Lord. And please, begin that relationship and begin to grow that relationship with him. Let's bow our heads. God, we are so grateful for all that you are and for who you are. You are our redeemer. You are the one who provides for us. You are the one who looks over us. You're sovereign in all things. You are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our very lives. Show us how, God, we can, we can give them to you, how we can honor you, how we can prepare ourselves for your return as Ruth put on uh, her best clothes and prepared herself. Help us learn to do that so that we are ready when you come back for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.